Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Hello and welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers. As organizations return to the workplace and navigate the impact of COVID-19, leaders need to continue monitoring emerging risks for their facilities, supply chain, insurance, financials, workforce, operations, and organizational culture. Weaver professionals Bruce Zaret, Robert Neal, and Trip Hillman, in partnership with IIA Dallas Chapter, discuss emerging risks C-suite leaders need to address and opportunities that exist specifically within technology and organizational operations. Listen now as they dive into the topics. All right, so we would like to introduce um, our panelists today. Now that we can get, we're going to get started on our topic and into our presentation, we're going to start off with uh, Bruce Zaret. He is a partner in our Risk Advisory Services Group. And as you can see, he's located there in Dallas. Uh, we have Robert Neal, Director of CIO Advisory Services in Austin, and Trip Hillman today, our Director of our Cybersecurity Services. So we would like to thank you all for preparing these slides for us and speaking with us. And Bruce, I believe you are going to get us started um, with the agenda today. That's right. Yeah. So the agenda, we'll uh, talk a little bit about, about us, our backgrounds here, and I'll give a brief intro. We'll talk about some emerging risks. And we get a lot of questions in our practice about what risks are emerging, what's changing right now, what organizations are focused on. So it'll be a, a really uh, fun discussion and we encourage participation uh, as we go. So we'll be able to take a few questions and those that we don't get to, uh, we will respond to. So um, please feel free to open up, um, open up for questions um, that you submit. And I'd like to thank everyone for being here. We go coast to coast from people that are participating and we actually have some people in Europe participating. So welcome to those folks. Really uh, appreciate you joining us. Um, all right, so we'll talk about emerging risks. We'll talk about some board takeaways. We'll talk about what to do with uh, your risk assessment uh, from a holistic perspective. And then we'll put um, some time for questions. So if you could advance the slide, please, we'll go to the next slide. Tina, I'm gonna turn it over to you for um, our first polling question for, um, as we get started. Wonderful, thank you. All right, our first polling question today is, what are your plans for returning to the workplace? Uh, you can select one of these options here. We're already back. We're in the middle of a phased approach. We have the option of working remote, full or part-time, and um, we're staying remote, never going back. So if you do that, uh, once you make your selection, and then you <clears throat> can hit the submit button at the bottom, and that's how that is done. Okay, I believe we are finished. If we can uh, give it two more seconds. And just so you know, if you are having a hard time seeing um, any of these, it should pop up in a window on your screen, the polling questions. I see one person was having trouble seeing that. Okay, Kelly, you can go ahead and close and let's take a look at our uh, results here. It looks like 57% of you said we're in the middle of a phased approach back. Wow, and then we have 30% with we have the option of working remote, full or part-time. And then about six, so we're already back, and then seven, we're staying remote and never going back. 
All right, thank you. All right, so let's just take our first area. So one of the things in our risk in our risk assessment process that's been popping up, we used to rate this uh, for those that have just regular office facilities, we would rate this low. And that has now been, uh, been on almost top of the list um, with respect to work facilities. So there's the reopening protocol. A lot of people are questioning, how do we reopen? What kind of things do we need to do to reopen? What should we be checking? when we reopen. So there's been a lot, a lot of talk about this for the traditional offices. Of course, those that are in some inventory-based businesses and other businesses that are um, really focused on facilities, this already may be uh, a lower or a high risk rather. But for those that are in traditional offices, this has been a low risk item. And so it's trending higher. And so uh, within your offices, you might want to identify what areas are higher risk um, what the distancing protocol is. Some people might be a little skittish walking around the halls. And so we have to be respectful of that. Um, what are cleaning protocols? Do you have sanitation stations? Things of that nature. So those are, um, that's been trending a lot higher. And what we've been asked to do, I've seen in some of my risk assessments is classify that high and make sure we have an audit uh, coming up in the near future on this protocol. Uh, next slide, please. All right, so what's the so what here? And the, the so what is um, we've been getting questions on what are you gonna do with your upcoming audits? What are you gonna focus on? And those could include workspace protocols, um, are temperatures taken? Uh, some organizations, especially hospitals, might be taking temperatures as they uh, enter the building. So are you gonna uh, check that process out to make sure that that's working right? Uh, international travel, domestic travel, um, are you going to have any quarantine restrictions when people do travel? Um, and then uh, just for those remote workers, uh, there might be challenges uh, tracking assets. And so uh, I, I have a client that has been requested to actually provide some assets um, to clients working remotely. So that's been a little new. And so there's been a challenge of how are those assets going to be tracked, um, you know, uh, based on, the uh, applications that they have in place. So kind of interesting stuff there. Um, and then uh, just things to focus on. Medical offices obviously are very high, uh, high risk. Um, food processors um, and then warehouses. Um, and then anything else from the panel that you'd like to add? No, Bruce, I think you've done a good job of kind of covering off, uh, you know, certainly speaking personally, you know, that, that re-entry into the office, uh, you know, can be a, uh, you know, a bit nerve-wracking that first time you walk back in, but, uh, you know, we've been doing it for a few weeks now as, as, as we've been opening our, our own offices and, uh, you know, certainly making sure that all those, uh, you know, new protocols are in place, I think is, you know, a very important thing for organizations to focus on. Very good. All right, if we can move on. Well, and Bruce, do you oh, mind? Okay. Um, I, we do have one person who was asking about what if your employer wants you to return to work, but the county judge extends the stay-at-home order um, past it, so through June 10th, for example. Do you have any recommendations for those people? I feel like this is where Bruce froze just to um, put, put, put Robert on the spot. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. 
Oh, no, I'm that? just I'm just saying, Bruce. I, I, thought, I thought you were you were frozen there for a minute on, on my screen, but I was I was I was sweating the the bullets of you know this is where my I am not an attorney answer comes up. <laughs> your, your mileage may vary. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think I think that could be a legal question um, versus an operational type question. Is that you know what do you do? Do you um, um, you know, go against your employer's wishes versus what the county's doing. And so I know that there's differences all over the world with different, uh, different protocol and, and some businesses are opening. Um, and maybe the, the governor or the, um, the county may have a different protocol. And that is more of a legal question. So um, I'm going to punt on that, but thank you for asking that one, Tina. Um, <laughs> no worries. the panel has, has anything to add to that. A very good question. And I think That's that a, good question. a lot of folks are challenged with that. Sure. And if you, before we move on, we're getting a lot of um, questions in the Q&A section and in the chat section on the polling questions. So if you don't mind, I'll take a second to address that uh, so that people aren't stressing about that as we talk through the slides. Is that okay? Sure. sure. All right. Wonderful. Um, I wanted to let you all know if you're not, I will look into why some of you are not able to see a uh, pop-up. Um, if you, it might be also, if you're try minimizing the the view. So instead of viewing it in full screen mode, try um, the Windows mode. And the other thing is, if you really can't see it and you want to submit, I will read through the options and you can submit your um, response in the Q&A section and it'll be recorded there. Um, so that way you can get your CPE credit. And um, it is 100 minutes uh, of the presentation um, to participate in for the CPE credit. So thank you, sorry to interrupt for that, but I wanted to make sure we were addressing all of those questions coming in. Yeah, also with work facilities, there's also um, um, the capacity of the, the cable and uh, a lot of people have been frozen and other types of challenges. There's, I'm sure you've seen a lot of videos going around the web on different scenarios that happen during these video conference sessions. So um, we've experienced some bandwidth issues as well, but. Uh, bear with us as we uh, move through the move through the dialogue here. We can go to the next slide, please. Well, this is supply chain disruptions, and that this is pretty high on the radar as well. Uh, that's been coming up. So, um, you know, you might you may be uh, having challenges getting uh, PPE or sanitizer, cleaning supplies. It might be raw materials, and so um, or escalating prices um, due to uh, the inability to get materials. And so we've been seeing a lot of these and that does create a lot of risk uh, within an organization, um, especially when um, you've got contracts and maybe somebody's not able to fulfill those contracts. This should be pretty high on the risk radar as well, whether it's operational or it's, um, uh, what, what I mean by back office or operational, uh, I think this should be higher on the radar depending on whether or not you're challenged with getting, uh, getting materials. Next slide, please. All right, so what's the, what's the so what in this? And um, depending on the industry, you could, be, um, you could be very challenged with this, uh, especially if you have materials that you're getting overseas, um, uh, Europe or Asia. Uh, some organizations are very challenged with getting their operations back up and running. So supply chain disruptions and having backup plans and contingency plans uh, and whether or not those are working uh, should be high on the radar. Um, there's even been, uh, we've done some contingency plan audits 
um, continuity plan audits. So the internal auditor may put those on the radar as well. And so, um, and that's taking the actual document and benchmarking. And then one of the key elements there, I believe that I've seen is that people run tests on those continuity plans. And people might say, well, we have these documents, they're in good shape, um, they're robust. But unless you've tested those plans and you've seen changes as a result of those tests, you know, I question whether or not um, those continuity plans are well, um, well put together. Anything else from the panel before I move on to our next yeah, Actually, topic? Bruce, just, uh, you know, put in a little bit of IT spin on it. You know, one of the things I, I've, I've started thinking about is, you know, a lot of organizations from, from a technology perspective, you know, rely on the ability to quickly get replacement parts for equipment. Uh, so whether it's, you know, through some sort of Cisco support agreement for, for network devices, that type of stuff of, hey, I could get a, get a, you know, new switch delivered to me in four hours if mine fails or eight hours, those types of things. And as, as there's issues with the supply chain, you know, some of those recovery capabilities may not be what you think they are uh, because you can't get the new equipment or the replacement equipment at the time frame that you're used to. So, you know, that, that's one of the things that, you know, the you know, IT organizations need to think about is, you know, does this change any of their recovery capabilities and, and being able to respond to, to outages? Yeah, it, I know that Robert and I come with this with, with more of an IT lens, but I think, you know, both the infrastructure side and also just deployment strategies, right? So like Robert's talking about the switches that we use to support all of our networks and stuff. And then it's also the endpoints that we're trying to get to our end users, right? So in our work from home strategies, do we have enough laptops, tablets, things to go around? I know there was a scramble and we'll talk about some of those devices later, but for, for my own instance, you know, we'll, we'll reference like webcams. Do we have enough webcams to get out to everybody? You know, this was a, a very backordered item, getting this, this speakerphone option, you know, there's shortages of, of equipment that we really didn't, just didn't account for, that we always kind of thought there was gonna be this steady flow. Yeah, Trip. That's a that's a that's a really good one. In fact, a lot of um, and I'm sure you guys are getting into this a little bit when we start focusing on some of the more IT specific items. But yeah, are, is, are people using um, you know uh, old equipment uh, just just to make sure we're fulfilling the need uh, out here? And so yeah, that's um, we've heard a lot of PC issues and a lot of uh, maybe printer issues um, uh, that are maybe even vulnerable. So. Um, very good, very good points, guys. We can go to the next next section here. Great. So this item has come up here as of late is insurance coverage and whether or not um, you've had pandemic related risks in your insurance policies. And so um, most, most policies have been covering any pandemic related and business um, interruption type of insurance, but some have not. And some people are getting surprised that they thought um, they had insurance coverage with respect to pandemic risks and come to find out, no, that's, that's been excluded. And sometimes it's been specifically excluded. Um, and people have come, uh, you know, come become aware of this as they've gone through their coverage. I think this should be an area that internal audit should be covering. Um, that should be on the risk radar is insurance coverage and whether or not we've got the proper insurance in place and whether or not pandemics or anything else that could be 
uh, related to pandemics is covered. Uh, if you go to the next slide, please. And this is the, the so what. So uh, some of the things that my clients have been discussing as they reopen uh, here in the Texas area, it's um, do employers have exposure um, for employee related illnesses or you don't know where an employee is going to get an illness. Is it coming to work? Is it going to the grocery store? Um, you know, where, where is that going to happen? And so, especially if you're in the, if you're an ag, a farmer rancher, um, you know, you could have exposure. One of the things that's come up um, is why are the farmers and ranchers destroying food and um, the excess food? Uh, because there's, there's been little demand and, and, the response to that is, if you think about it, not only are they supplying food to grocers, they're supplying food to um, hotels, uh, restaurants, other entertainment venues. So the, um, they don't have that demand right now, or they haven't for the past several weeks. And so, yeah, they've been destroying um, a lot of that food because there's been no demand for it. Now, if you've heard that the um, uh, Congress is trying to put a program in place to where that food can be redeployed to those less fortunate that might not have food, which I think could be a good option. So the farmers and ranchers don't destroy this anymore. So it's just uh, it's just a waste. Um, insurance coverage on grocers. And then uh, one that's come up recently is the food transportation uh, area. Um, spoiled inventory in transit. Uh, there's, been, there's been a lot of that that's come up recently with insurance coverage. But there can be a separate audit. Uh, it should be on the risk manager's radar and it should be on internal audits radar. Um, that yeah, Bruce, panel, just, to, just to add kind of a different spin, since I'm in Austin, I'll, I'll talk about music and uh, live music, but you know, uh, South by Southwest, the big festival that uh, is hosted every year in March in, in Austin, uh, you know, their event disruption insurance uh, had an exclusion for pandemics and, and they didn't pay the extra money to get a rider to actually remove that exclusion. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, they, so they were literally out, you know, all of the revenue that they lost for this year's event uh, because their insurance policy didn't cover it because they, you know, they made the decision not to do it thinking we're never going to have a pandemic that's going to actually interrupt and cancel South by Southwest. It happens every year for the last 30 years, but, but it did. So, you know, so, you know, certainly going back and, you know, looking at those, those policies and uh, revisiting those decisions, I think is, is, is a good thing to do. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for that, Robert. Um, you know, insurance, there probably won't be any insurance coverage trip over Baylor's recruiting program. So there's, I know it'll be interrupted, but I don't know if this insurance is going to cover that. So I just thought I'd throw that out there to you because, um, I know they're constantly recruiting. Um, and if we can go to the next, uh, you don't have to respond to that. Um, but if we can go to the next, uh, the next slide, please. Always a dig. Uh, <laughs> thought I'd throw that in there for you. Um, asset, asset impairment. So this should also be high, really high on the, on the radar. Now, I know that there's been, um, there's some relief that's, that's been out there, um, regulatory relief on certain asset impairments and delaying, especially if you're a lender. Um, there's been some delays in, in taking trouble debt restructuring charges, um, and then Cecil's been delayed. But I will say that, you know, this will only last a certain period of time, 
but there will be an impact. There'll be an impact on loans. There'll be an impact on um, uh, the PP&E and other intangibles. So um, there, will be, well, there will be an impact, and I suspect that this should be high on um, accounting's radar and the internal audits and risk managers' radar. So um, look for relief from SEC. Uh, also look for disclosure requirements, and that can also be an audit area because there'll be a lot of disclosure requirements, whether you're on the public company side or the private company side, and also from governments. If you're a government or higher ed, I would keep a watch out for uh, separate disclosures for those as well. And if you can go to the next slide, please. Let's see, so just considerations also. Uh, there'll be a lot of restructuring. Um, as, as a lot of loan covenants will be restructured uh, or if they're left in place, there could be a lot of busts in debt covenants. So um, you wanna make sure that you're working with your institution. If you're a lender, um, this is probably a, a big thing that you're working with right now is restructuring or revamping debt covenants because people can't meet those. Um, and if you're a borrower, um, you're probably looking to restructure those or to get some uh, postponement or relief. And so those should be high on the radar as well um, if you're dealing with those issues. Um, there'll be a lot of uh, forecasting and projections out there, um, especially as you apply um, certain accounting standards to maybe you're not an institution that's had a delay in CECL, you probably will uh, have to employ a lot of these techniques as you're looking at your allowance. Um, panel, anything else on asset impairments? Big area here as we are in, in increasing in the risk trend uh, as we move forward in the coming weeks. I suspect IT will have, um, will be a lot of considerations around asset impairments as well. If we can go to the next slide, please. You know, um, Bruce, before you move on to the next slide, sure. there actually was another question that came in, and it's maybe a little bit to do with some of the costs when you were talking about the work facilities as well. Yep. Um, but they were wondering, you know, you've got the cost of testing and cleaning and sanitizing um, versus, you know, work from home remote costs. Um, so they're wondering a little bit more about the financial aspects, um, if you have any thoughts about the financial aspects of working from home and remote versus the cost of bringing people back into the office and, and how to deal with that. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good question. And I'll tell you, um, and I maybe should have touched on this, one of my clients is struggling with, um, with the remote workers wanting um, assets. You know, they want, hey, can you supply a chair? Can you supply a desk? I don't have a desk. Um, and so, um, so I, think, I think these unforeseen costs are gonna go up. I think that is gonna be a big burden on some organizations as they transition to remote working is what's the expectation of the employee? And, um, and some employees are really stressing out about this because um, they might not have a desk at home or they have to use a card table. They have to go out and buy a card table and work from a couch or from a, just a, a reclining chair. And so that becomes a really big deal. And um, it can be very uncomfortable um, trying to put in a significant number of hours and productivity um, can be on the decline depending on the organization for this. So I would look at those costs increasing. And um, that's a really good question. I think it's gonna impact budgeting 
Um, and I think there's going to be an emotional element to that as well. Um, and I think that employers need to be pretty sensitive to, um, to the risks that are surrounding that from a talent management perspective. And we're going to get into that in the next, in the next area. But my thoughts are that that is a very real cost. I suspect it's going to go up um, the cost of remote, uh, remote working. And I think that there's uh, uh, an element, an employee element that I think uh, employers need to be aware of. I don't know if anybody else on the panel has any. Yeah, any, yeah Bruce, uh, I think you're right. I, I, I think especially as, as the length of time that people are having to work from home uh, continues to extend, right? Those, those pressures and those needs to, to have a better setup uh, at their home, uh, you know, increase, right? So it's, you know, it's one thing, oh, we just need to work from home for a week or two. When this thing started off, I think we all thought, Oh, that's mid-March. By the end of March, we're going to be back to normal. And then we weren't. And now it's towards the end of May and some companies are extending, you know, returning even, you know, into June, July, some are saying it may never go back to, you know, traditional uh, work in the office, you know, some of the tech companies like Twitter and, and those, but as, as those expectations are placed on employees, I do think there'll be more and more pressures on providing better tools and equipment and setups, you know, in the, you know, their, their home, home offices. Yeah, right. And no, go ahead. Sure. And I just like, cause I'm in the, I'm in the Q and a section. Um, and we ha do have a, a, just another question, uh, kind of when you were talking about the insurance coverage and then also as you're talking about some of these, uh, bringing people back into the office, um, you know, someone asked about, you know, monitoring COVID health scenarios and as it relates to the audit requirements um, and kind of what kind of information might they need to look at to ensure that the company is not at risk for increased lawsuits or ne negligence or use of health data. And I didn't know if you wanted to cover that now or, or maybe a little later even. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I, I, think, um, I think that's trending and I think we're going to see some things come out on that where um, employers are gonna have these requirements to, um, to evaluate that and to evaluate how companies are complying with certain requirements. I think we're gonna see that. I think from a liability perspective, I think if people have um, policies in place, I think they have to have policies in place. If they don't, I think they're gonna have some exposure. And I think that you know, people look out on the, CD, the CD, CDC site and then also trending in the IIA, if there's anything that's gonna come up from a, a risk perspective that we need to address and cover in our audit plans. I think if we put audit plans in place and we try to, try to cover that, I think that can mitigate the exposure. But that's a very good question and I think the exposure is going up on that because there is liability on it. And so how do we as internal auditors and risk managers help address that? And I think bring that to the forefront to the board because that should be very high on the radar. And um, I don't have any specifics for you because I haven't seen any specifics, but I think that should be on the radar because um, if we don't see specifics, we should be uh, proactive in addressing that by developing programs and um, uh, put audits in place for that, at least to mitigate uh, some of that risk because I think that's gonna trend real high. Good question. We go to the next slide, please. All right, this one um, 
culture. Um, this is impacting everyone. I know in our organization, um, uh, you know, the workforce, you could say it's in, you know, are you, you're questioning the stability. So, you know, how do you mitigate that risk? Um, talented employees may be looking elsewhere. Uh, definitely fraud risk. If that is not higher on your, on your radar, it should be. Um, and then process disruptions. Um, right away when this started happening, I had several clients go to a different format in processing payments. So they right away started rewriting um, their processes of how do we process payments remotely. Those should be written into um, uh, policies and procedures and also the auditor's consideration of risk. So that's going to be um, a real big one, I think, as we move forward. And then one of the big things that's trending, and I haven't seen, I've seen some organizations do pretty well with this actually, is communication. Um, communication may not be a risk area separately in your organization, but it should be. Um, communication protocols, how often do you communicate? What are we communicating? Not just internally, but what are we communicating externally? Especially if you're an organization that is exposed to maybe some government reporting or some public company reporting, uh, you may have a lot of requirements around communication. Well, should this be an audit area? I think holistically it should be. Um, we should be auditing communications or put it on the risk radar. Um, and it should be uh, specifically identified the senior management and the board that there's a lot of communication risk internally and externally. Um, and so uh, one of my clients actually has a communications department. And so uh, we've been monitoring that pretty closely with what they're communicating uh, to their constituents, um, being their policyholders, government, and internally. So they've got several constituencies that they're looking at. But culture is uh, just gi gigantic. And the more transparent the communication, the better. We can go to the next slide, please. All right, so um, what can you do? Um, I told you that uh, different people are communicating differently in this. I think employees really appreciate more transparency. The more transparent, the better right now. If there's an issue, you know, you might need to, to communicate it to your employees so at least they feel better about where they stand, where the organization stands, and what's being done about certain things. I think this risk, um, is gigantic right now and, and it's trending within the, the cultural assessment uh, area. Um, hey, we have different, and I'm sure you have as well, different happy hours that happen uh, virtually, uh, uh, other things that happen from a virtual perspective. I think these are huge and I think these cannot be uh, underestimated of the impact of the workforce. So, um, and, and management, having management uh, provide videos virtually as well, so people are feeling more in touch and connected. But culture is gigantic here um, uh, when we have a, a, an event like this pandemic. Robert Tripp, by all means, please chime in. Yeah, uh, you know, just just thinking about you know some of the things that that I I've, I've seen both that we've done internally and then what some of my clients have done, uh, and again more from an IT perspective. But uh, you know, we've been doing daily standups, which standups is uh, kind of a concept coming out of agile software development methodologies, um, you know, having the daily touch point to go 
what are you working on? Are there key things that, that we need to help you from a management standpoint, you know, get out of the way blockers, those types of things. Um, and, you know, we've adopted that for, you know, non-development type tasks. So, you know, even for the, for our IT advisory staff of having daily touch points, just, just 10 or 15 minutes to start the day, uh, just to, to see each other on camera, talk about what we're working on, you know, talk about any issues or concerns, and then we go about our day. And I think that's been huge uh, to adopt that concept of just having that, that quick stand-up has, has been invaluable. Uh, you know, I, I've seen that with other clients doing similar things as well. And I think it's, yeah. you know, Trip? all of the, all, all, yeah, all, all of those things, you know, put it, putting on kind of a different perspective of rather than saying, you know, see, these were the four official communications that came out. We, we have done a good job of uh, communicating from the top down, but, but really looking at it from a, you know, who's polling the people to make sure that those messages are well received. And then also, I mean, you know, there's always an IT spin that we're looking for in, in our side of, you know, how are people adapting to the technology that they're using? You know, how are they being, you know, camera on like, like this right now? You know, that was a big kind of shift, you know, even what, what a short six, eight weeks ago, you know, of, of a lot of people have shifted to, okay, I, I can feel better about this. But that was kind of a, a foreign concept for a little bit of, do I feel okay being on a webcam? Um, that's, that's kind of my, my feeling, you know, of, of that organizational culture shift of, I still want to make sure that I have that touch point. Now I need to see you, Bruce. I need to see you, Robert. And so that I, I can overcome some of those communication challenges, you know, using technology differently. Gotcha. Hey, Trip, if I can interrupt here, it's, it looks like um, our cameras are off uh, or it sounds like our cameras are off. Kaylee, I don't know if, um, uh, Oh, it looks like we're getting it taken care of for that person. Okay. okay. Yeah. You know what? I'm actually, Bruce, I think um, people in the audience wanted to make sure that they're muted and that their cameras are off and they are. Um, so no one has to worry about that. If you're having background noise, we appreciate the the concern, but we can see you wonderfully, Bruce, Robert and Tripp. So thank you. Okay. Well, All very right. good. I, you know, we did have a, I'm sorry, Tripp, please finish your thought. No, I, so I, I was just thinking of, of you know, the, the balancing the difference of, of, managing the top-down communication, yes, do a good job of that, but then also the consideration for what, what, are, what are people actually feeling, you know, what is, what is that organizational at the, at the various levels as well, so how is it felt as well as both what is communicated and what is received? No, Tripp, I think that's really important um, is, is empathy right now, and um, I think our emotional IQ really needs to go up here. Um, there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of different things. There may be um, a spouse out of work, um, or, you know, you're having to deal with, uh, teaching the kids during the day and as we are at our house. And then, um, uh, also trying to deal with getting work done. And, and a question that that's come in, uh, that's a really good question. I think from a consulting firm perspective, there's, there's all kinds of different entities here on the call, um, and all kinds of different industries. So, but this one came in from a consulting firm. Uh, on, on um, how will a consulting firms limit having employees work on site and what are the risks, risks that are missed and um, do you foresee longer project times and how is that going to impact fees? Um, I can tell you personally, uh, it has impacted our, uh, our time to get something done um, and uh, sometimes I feel like we're not being as thorough, not being face-to-face -face with somebody 
um, Tripp and Robert, I don't know what, what you've experienced, but yeah, we've experienced that it's taken a little longer. Um, I don't know how it's going to impact fees yet, um, but it is taking a little bit more time and it's more difficult because um, we're sharing evidence on the screen or we're getting sent evidence and you don't know if it's being altered or not. So I think there's a big audit risk that goes up, whether you're a consulting firm or you're auditing remote. Uh, for your organization, I think that's the same kind of risks. I don't know how the fees will be impacted going forward because some industries are hurting a lot, um, and so um, you might want to, you know, absorb some fee with your client, um, or um, it's just taking much too longer. And I think some of the fees may be impacted as a result. So, very good question. I'd love to sidebar with that person um, uh, after the call, but uh, but good. Good question. Hopefully I addressed it adequately. And don't know, guys, if you want to yeah. chime in. I, I think that the the this is one of those opportunities really of, of what what we can do going forward. So is it a shift in how we've been doing things? Yes. But you know, I, I work with a lot of globally distributed clients already. And so with with for the for the sole sake that we're not flying to uh, Tokyo, China, you know, Europe on a regular basis to conduct our audit, we'll do a sampling method. Uh, but you know, we're not, we're not, some of our audits have already taken place in a distributed fashion. So there's really groups that are out there, I think that, that have, are already exceeding at this. Um, and so I think it's an opportunity to kind of rethink what is your objective? What are the tools that I have at my disposal to get this done and kind of rethinking of how can I get at the heart of what my risk is or what evidence can I capture in a different way? Can we use different tools to be able to still give us the same level of assurance? We don't want to lower our quality standards, but we rethink our approach to something and find a new way to get something done. And as far as the fees side goes, I, you know, I can't speak entirely of that, but I think that if you're reducing travel, uh, instead of going out, excuse me, and traveling, you know, to multiple sites, you could potentially have, you know, a, a reduced fee in that sense of, of you're, you're, you're backing out some of your travel costs and time associated with that. And as far as, you know, things taking longer, you know, maybe it takes a little bit longer because we got to get a little bit more of this face-to-face -face time, you know, and I can't just pop down the hall to see somebody. But the other side is, is you know, I, I feel like I've been, I at least feel like I've been punching the clock a little bit more. So, you know, with, with, when I'm taking out my commute time, I've got, I've got, you know, hours are up. Things are getting right. done. Yeah. Right. And Tripp, you, you did just mention travel and, um, and you also, as we're talking about, um, visitors and consulting groups um, coming on site. There have been two questions. Um, the first is, what are your thoughts on um, travel and um, how people are handling that and the risks associated with travel? And then the second one is how to handle visitors to the office, especially if those visitors are not really interested in following protocols such as wearing masks. Um, so those are uh, two questions before we, we are, by the way, getting ready to have a polling question. I know a bunch of you have asked when the next polling question is. Um, so we're about to get to that. But I thought since we're on the topic of travel and, and having people outside, um, inside the office, maybe you could touch on those. Trip? I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm going to be a little bit bullish on that and say, you know, if, if somebody's, you know, I, I'm... <laughs> not wanting to follow the rules, then I'm going to politely escalate that and, and or work with that person to figure out what their concern is. But I'm, I'm going to err on the side of you've got to protect people uh, and protect, protect the safety of others. Um, 
I, I tend to have a, a little bit more of a, <laughs> a strong, strong stance on that. Of, of we got, we've got rules to find. Uh, there's a reason we've, we've put these in place. We need to work with others to make sure that uh, concerns are addressed. But at, in the end, we gotta, we gotta follow the rules. Very good. And then, just lastly, on this before the poll question is, this is an opportunity. If you want to, um, you know, trying to get processes changed, uh, this might be a good opportunity to do that. Um, people are, are right now; they're changing, and they're they're more inclined to be um, amicable to change. So if you think something needs to change, this would be a great opportunity uh, to change. So, and we'll get into that a little bit here in a minute, but um, uh, if we can move on then to the polling question, Tina. Wonderful. And um, our polling question is going to be, what communication has been most effective for you? And again, if you are having um, trouble seeing this polling question, the polling question is a pop-up box that comes up right now on your screen. Um, if you're having a trouble seeing it, maybe if you go up to the right to view options, um, just make sure that you're not viewing in full screen mode. That might help. And you're, you can do multiple choice for this. Um, you can just select town halls, mass email or newsletter updates, uh, recorded video messaging or podcasts, collaboration forum, um, MS, you know, like such as MS Teams, Slack, Zoom, message boards, or you're, you're kind of still looking for an effective uh, a communication choice that works for you. And then when you um, select them, you can then hit the submit button. And, and I think Tina, just to comment over this one, the goal of what we're trying to get at here is, you know, what has been effective for you? What, what is that piece that you've received well? So just kind of giving people a little bit more time to respond to that. But, you know, there's, you've been hit with a lot of channels, methods, and some, some are new, some are, um, you know, a little bit different than maybe how you were used to receiving information. But what is that effective method of communication? Absolutely. And if again, by the way, if you're having issues, just put it in the Q&A box, please. The Q&A box is what is saved. Um, and the Q&A box is where we are tracking any questions that you have throughout. It's a little easier to track those um, questions that you might have throughout the presentation if you use the um, Q&A uh, box for us, please. So thank you so much. And then, um, Kaylee, I think we are finished with this poll. If you want to show us the responses. Fantastic. Wow, it looks like we've got 64% um, wow. of you um, are saying that the collaboration forums. Um, yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Okay, and then um, I'm not sure if any of the um, panelists, if you want to speak to any of these other results while they're up for us, because I'm personally surprised by some of them myself. Yeah, the collaboration forum. Um, well, that's great. I think that's more, it's more personal. I, I didn't think of that. I thought I thought town halls um, were going to be number one, but having the collaboration forums, um, that's great. That's really great to see. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert, yeah. Slightly surprised that that, that, that that was so high, but, you know, thinking about it on the fly, I, I think the, uh, uh, you know, multi-way communication that can happen through uh, things like Teams and Slack uh, you know, probably factors into that. So it's not just one way. Uh, communication, you know, through email or those types of things where you don't feel like you, you know, can really interact and, and engage. Uh, so, uh, you know, probably not as surprising as I thought, but it's, it's still a little interesting to see that it's uh, as, as, as high as it is on, on you know, the collapse side. So, yeah, very cool. Trip, anything? 
Yeah, no, I, I, I like I like the results. I mean, um, I think this is a, an area of improvement. I think this is one of those things that will also get to the opportunity to address on the IT side for those of you that are shifting to this. So these are the communications that have been effective. How many people have collaboration forums as as part of their scopes? So how many people are looking at those these tools? So we'll 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 get to that in a little bit as far as the IT side goes. But but remember the volume of responses that we received here saying that these things are are exist and that they are effective. So we'll, we'll talk about that as far as scoping and, and what the impact is a little bit later. Cool. All right. If you want to move on then to um, the next area, financial services. So I put this in here. There's a great number of uh, a, a solid number of financial services uh, firms in here. So we thought we would put this in from a banking perspective. I work in financial services um, and, and uh, primarily and in other areas, but primarily financial services, banking and insurance. So I put this in here is that banking, um, especially these PPP loans um, are very, uh, um, very high on the risk radar right now. Um, we're getting into the forgiveness period. So there's a lot, a lot of uh, talk around that, but there's gonna be impact around your loans investment. Maybe you've had very solid investment, uh, invested assets, and those might be um, uh, on the forefront right now because the loan, the, the tax base is changing. Uh, for insurers, the reinsurance market is hardening, so your prices are going up. So that could impact all of us uh, uh, down the road. So trouble loans, municipal and agency bonds, again, take a look at those. I think those are higher on the risk radar. Reinsurance costs, and then uh, the changing regula regu regulatory environment. And uh, somebody also said changes in, in regulations uh, with respect to the tax area as well. So I thought I'd mention that very good uh, point there that was made. So I wanna make sure that uh, the audience knows that uh, uh, tax compliance and regulatory compliance around tax is trending as well. You go to the next slide, please. All right, so uh, unique considerations around this um, is third-party risk. A lot of huge third-party risk around this. You know, your, your vendors may be changing on a, on a dime. So there's a lot, of, a lot of risk around third parties, making sure that third and fourth parties, making sure that your, your third parties and the parties that are supporting them, you understand all of that risk. Um, huge trend in risk there. And then the PPP loan, forgiveness program, certain internal controls around that. If you're a, uh, a bank um, or you audit banks, uh, there's a lot of, there should be some new internal controls around the uh, PPP compliance. So that is uh, definitely higher on the risk radar. We go to the next slide, please. I'm sorry, Trip um, or Robert, anything else on that before we hit the opportunities? I think we're good. We'll touch on some other aspects of financial services when we talk to some of the Great. IT. Very good. Pieces. Very good. All right. So, hey, with, with chaos, um, chaos really comes opportunity. So um, a stronger definition of risks uh, should be uh, emerging in your organization if it hasn't already. Um, you've got new product innovations. Um, you've got uh, other innovations with processes, things like that that are changing and trending. So uh, those are opportunities that we should be taking, care, uh, taking advantage of as we see, um, you know, it's a more chaotic environment. But again, with that chaos can create opportunity. If we go to the next slide, please. 
All right, unique considerations. Um, Robert will touch on, Robert and Tripp will touch on this as well. Um, education is gonna change. You're gonna see a pretty dramatic change with education uh, as we get into the fall, whether or not uh, some kids go two days a week or three days a week, and some uh, are on site for a few days a week and they transition, we're not, it's not 100% of the people uh, full time. That'll be very interesting to see how we transition into the fall. Healthcare is gonna be, I think, dramatically changed as a result of this. Uh, home delivery, you'll see, you've seen a big uptick in that. Food, um, I think we'll see some transitions in the food industry as we get, um, we get more mature into the, this pandemic and we, as we hopefully come out of it. And then exercise equipment, you can't find any right now. So, um, you know, I'm having to use some sandbags or cement bags uh, to lift weights these days. So um, anyway, um, you'll see some of these, uh, uh, these industries start trending and start changing as well. It'll be really interesting to see what we see uh, coming, down the, coming down the road. Trip, um, yeah. and then Robert, anything on your end? So I think I saw a question scroll across or a comment rather about, you know, how does this impact, you know, IT audits regarding system and involvement of system administrators. And so I think, you know, this kind of falls under an opportunity for how do we change our approach to an audit? How do we change our approach to getting evidence? Um, so instead of, you know, I'm going to do some shoulder serves. Now I've got the opportunity to say, can we do maybe a group meeting? Can we have multiple people on? Can we do a, a screen share session? Um, can we do, you know, some camera live observations that, you know, I think it's just, it goes back to kind of having an open mindset of, of what is your goal and what is kind of the objective at hand and what is the risk that you're trying to mitigate and being open-minded to how can I maybe tweak my procedures or adjust my methods to be able to accommodate the situation that we're in and into the questions about timeliness as well so that we can keep things moving. We obviously don't want to turn a blind eye to it or something like that. Of, uh, how do we get some level of assurance now, even if we're going to come back and clean that up, uh, maybe per perform an, a, a more thorough procedure at a later date, but how can I get some level of assurance now? You know, I don't want to wait as long as I have to, to be able to come physically on site in some cases. Really good point. Good point. All right. Panel, anything else before we move on? Yep. All right. Very good. Next, next slide, please. I think it's a polling question. Okay, you thank Tina, you. I'll turn it back over to you. Sure. All right, everyone. This is the next um, quote polling question. It should have popped up on your screen right now. What have you found to be the largest disruptor? The first one is supply chain, getting the right stuff. Communication, which is messaging. Are we getting the right information? Collaboration or availability, which is getting in touch with people. Technology, the lack of the right tool to get work done, if I only had, for example. And then the last option is longer hours or work-life balance, you know, at home, childcare, schooling, always on, always available, the workspace. Tina, I don't see the polling question up. Um, Got it here. I'm getting it. I see it. Yep. Y'all see it? Okay, great. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and I apologize. I'm not exactly sure. Um, we have not experienced this issue with the, the Zoom uh, platform in the past. So I do apologize if some of you are having issues viewing this poll box. Um, we have most of you have found a solution by doing again the view option and not viewing it in full screen. 
or um, viewing it um, uh, through the platform versus a web browser. So thank you for sharing some of those. Um, again, if you uh, need to record your response elsewhere, just put it in the Q&A box, please. I know some of you are still using the chat box, but it's more helpful um, if you can record that in the Q&A box um, because we can easily um, download that. Okay, so I think um, we are done with that. If you want to show us the responses here. Oh, I appreciate that. It looks like 47% um, of you are saying that um, the largest disruptor is the longer hours and work-life balance. Um, that's followed by 19% at the collaboration or availability. And then 13% is communication with 12% being supply chain. I know one person said that they would really like to be able to get toilet paper. Um, and then 8% of you are at the technology, finding that uh, right tool to get work done. So thank you all for participating. So if we could leave these up for just a second, I think, you know, I, I don't know, Robert, what your thoughts are, but I think there's some interesting thing here. This is a little bit different than what I was expecting. This is a lot. I mean, other than the, the bottom one of, of the work-life right. balance, this is a lot more even distribution. And I'm really surprised that technology, the lack of the right tool to get work done is that low. Cause I feel like this is one of those ones where Robert was talking about, you know, everybody getting their space set yeah. up right. And some of maybe some of those answers come across in the supply chain, but I, I'm I'm surprised that that in I guess in a positive way that that's that's not a bigger problem for people. So it seems like people have been able to get find stuff to get things done. Yes, that that's very surprising to see technology only at at eight at eight percent. Perhaps it's like a big challenger disruptor, but not quite as much as the the work life balance. So. So maybe just lost out there, but you know, surprising that all the IT organizations are able to get the technology right so so quickly. Uh, or, or I don't have the right technology, therefore I'm having to work longer hours, and that's that's why I'm, I'm clicking. I'm clicking the bottom. Perhaps. I'm clicking the bottom response here. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and by um, just so you all know, by the way, since we do have this pop-up box, if some of you want to use this as a, a quick test. Um, one person did just share that they did view options and went to full screen mode, and now the you can see the polling box. So I think um, if some people are having different things with their laptops, so if they or their computers, so you can maybe play with the view options while we have the box up there for right now. But thank you all for um, again for participating in this, and and Bruce, Robert, and Trip. I didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to say while we have the results up. No, yeah, I think we're good. So uh, I think this will be a good good transition into talking more about. Uh, technology and cybersecurity. So, thank you. All right, Kaylee, we can close that. All right. So, you know, I almost titled this slide, you know, "The Fast and the Furious," because it, it felt like that, uh, you know, all this happened really quickly. So, and it, it, it's kind of amazing looking back over the past seventy plus days at just how unprecedented, uh, you know times have been and you know I, I actually recall kind of early March leaving a client site on a, on a Thursday afternoon uh, and headed to the airport with my family to, to, to go do some college visits uh, kind of long weekend I've been deal heading into spring break and uh, so we'll, we'll fly over to Georgia check out the University of Georgia maybe go up to Knoxville check out Tennessee um, you know, so we fly in late Thursday night get up Friday morning actually got in a campus visit an official guided campus tour visit surprisingly uh, but by noon, uh, got a notification from another university that they had canceled their tours that, that, that we had scheduled. 
my older daughter, who's in college, got an email from their president of the university saying, hey, we're going to extend spring break by a week, and then we're moving online. I mean, it's just happening so quickly, uh, that things changing. And then you know, that, that afternoon, I had a call with a client to uh, tie up some things for the week. And we, we ended the call going, okay, I'll see you next week when you're back in Austin you know, at our, our client site for some meetings. And I was like, yep, see you on Tuesday when I get back in town. And by Sunday, that same client emailed me and said, guess what? We're now work from home. Everyone's working from home. So obviously don't show up at our, our site when you get back. So I mean, things literally in that 72 hour period changed dramatically, right? We went from people were working and going to the office and stores were open and banks were open and everything was, you know, pretty much normal. Uh, and then literally over a weekend, it all changed. And you're just thinking about how quickly the IT organizations had to react to that, right? So they were, you know, thinking Friday afternoon, eh, headed off for a weekend, and then all of a sudden they're deploying all sorts of technology to support a work from home environment. Uh, and, you know, literally, you know, we, we created tens and hundreds and thousands of new work sites overnight uh, in, in a lot of cases. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's a, just an amazing thing that happened, not only from what the IT organizations were able to scramble and do, but, but also, uh, you know, just all employees being able to adapt to that and, and adapt to new, new work environments on, on, on such a uh, fast pace is, you know, pretty remarkable uh, when, when you think about it. And, uh, you know, we've been working for years, kind of nibbling along the edges of work from home and, you know, hybrid work environments. And overnight, we just went full swing to, you know, no one at the office. So it, it, it's been a pretty amazing wild ride, I think, for a lot of organizations. Uh, you know, but with that speed, uh, I, th I think comes increased risk around IT and data security. Uh, because when you're moving that fast and trying to get things done, right, it tend to cut corners in some places, maybe some controls and processes that you normally followed to provision devices you didn't quite do, uh, you know, some security controls that, that you typically have pretty locked down, you, you eased up on. Uh, so, you know, the, just the pace of the, the shift to working from home uh, was, was uh, you know, I, I think, you know, big increase on just the risk exposure we have from an IT perspective. Trip, you may have some uh, additional thoughts of, about that uh, as, as well from a data security standpoint. Yeah, and I think just, you know, trying to paint a picture for everybody, knowing that we've got a lot of different um, roles of, of people and maybe different departments or, or backgrounds represented. But, you know, in, in the forefront of my mind is, you know, I've got kind of that map or what does the, the diagram of an environment look like? You know, and, and what, Robert, you know, you're talking about is how, how the speed of with, with which that changed is that if we think about that, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to, to use a MAPSCO, you know, and I'm thinking about a map with the map insert, is that really, you know, we added on a whole portion of the map. It's not like we just updated and rearranged a few dots on the diagram. It's like we took one map and we just added on a whole other page of what, what our, our environment looks like potentially. And so just to paint a, a clear picture for everybody of this is a, a good <laughs> stretch for a lot of organizations, you know, and there was a, a massive response to, to get things up and running. And 
that didn't just, just it wasn't a one for one replacement in a lot of cases. It was a bolt on and it was a true expansion. Um, and thinking of a, of a house, we added on rooms, right? We just didn't, we didn't swap out furniture. Right. And, and, and Trip, one of the other things that, that, that you've described before and, you know, thinking about security and kind of layers of security, right? There's the concept that there's that outer kind of hard, crunchy exterior of, of you know, the castle walls. Uh, and, you know, traditionally you've been able to clearly define the castle walls. And, and now we have thousands of little castles all over the place and in, in, in organizations and, you know, thoughts about how you, you know, uh, secure those, those perimeters now. I mean, how do you do that? And I think that's the, that's the point to drive home and start asking inside of your organizations is how do we have a good grasp of what that picture is? You know, a lot of terms get thrown around of the defense in depth and we've got layers of security and it has to be um, like an onion or, you know, we've got to have multiple layers, but I, I think this is the time to test the validity of those layers, you know? And so you, you don't want to be the M&M, right? You don't want to have a hard, crunchy outer shell and a soft inside that's not well defended. You know, you want that ideally, you know, people used to build, like like Robert said, that, that analogy of castle walls. We want multiple layers stacked upon each other that if you get across the moat, then you got to get over the wall. If you get through the wall, you got to get through the guards, you know, things like that. We want to make sure that those layers are, are accurately depicted. And now we've basically, you know, drilled holes in our walls and we've scattered people out all around the outside of our quote unquote former perimeter. And now we've got to recount, kind of reconduct our census of what do we have? It's that first step of even identifying what all we've got, filling in the picture. Do we have a good idea of what the landscape looks like? And then now can I start to apply equal layers around those little dots that have now left the outer walls? Well, in Tripp and Robert, um, you know, one person has said, well, in theory, right, um, didn't business continuity and disaster recovery plans at least incorporate the theory of dealing with this kind of um, business disruption? Yeah, it, certainly most recovery plans, whether it's a DR plan or a you know, business continuity plan, um, you know, typically, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on some sort of pandemic. But, you know, my experience has been, and even, you know, I'm a, I'm a former CIO, uh, and before I joined Weaver. So, you know, there were times where you kind of discounted the whole concept of a pandemic and you're like, you know, that's not the thing that's going to take us down. That's not the thing that I'm worried about when I go to sleep at night, but you know, it became a reality. So I, I think while sometimes those plans touched on it, I don't know that those plans got exercise for the specific event of, a global pandemic and all the implications of that, both from where people work and the supply chain disruption, I mean, and on and on and on. Um, I don't know that those really were pressure tested. They were there on paper, but not really you know, at a point where they're, they're, they're easily uh, you know, picked up and used to, to, to actually go execute a recovery of, of this nature. So I, I think a lot of organizations uh, were, were, were scrambling for sure. And I, and I, oh, go, go. I was just going to touch on the other one, Tina, about the VPN. If, if Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. So thank you, Tripp. <laughs> so I, I think the, the question was some, something around, you know, about a VPN. Shouldn't a, v, a VPN have helped with this? And I think that the answer is yes. You know, and tying that with the BCP piece is that it's just, it goes back to that velocity and volume that we ended up, you know, kind of what Robert was talking about with the fast and the furious feel of this, of that, 
I think it's the the load that you mentioned, Robert, and right. also the the this, the duration of that load, right? It's you know in that recovery plan, there's kind of the concept that we're going to get back to quote unquote that word normal that's been used a lot, or we're going to shift back to our primary uh, equipment. Um, we didn't. I don't think many plans that I've I've seen anticipated an extended uh, use of of remote technology at this particular volume level. And I yeah, think I, I, right, Trip, you're right, right? And just thinking about VPN, right? So when you design and size those, right, you make some assumptions around concurrent connections. And, you know, those were based on not the worst case scenario in a lot of cases, because that gets really expensive from a hardware perspective and a licensing perspective. And those are, those dollars add up really quickly, right? So you, you, right, you looked at your network traffic and your employee count and you, you made some, uh, you know, estimations of, we'll have 500 concurrent connections through the VPN at any given time. And overnight, that became not 500, it can become 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000. And you know, that's, 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 that's not as simple as, oh, we just need to go change a number, right? I mean, there's things that have to be done to, you know, increase that capacity. Uh, you know, that, that could be, you know, more bandwidth into the, uh, you know, data center where that, that VPN is located. It could be more hardware. It could be going back to a software provider and acquiring more licensing. I mean, there's, there's, you know, things that, that happen there that uh, usually aren't, don't happen quickly uh, to, to, to do that. So uh, good point. Uh, yeah. So just, you know, thinking about, you know, some unique considerations, Bruce, you touched some on, on, on the financial side, but uh, you know, certainly I, I think, uh, you know, uh, financial institutions thinking about controlling personal information, right? So uh, as, as, as employees are now, in, in some cases, not working within those, those uh, traditional castle walls or their, or their uh, you know, good awareness and, and, and good training around how to handle personal information when you're working from home, right? So if you're processing a loan, uh, if you're your home office and there's personal information in there, account information, social security numbers, those types of things, uh, do you have the right processes and procedures in place? And do the employees have an awareness of those that may be slightly different than when they're in that secure area of, uh, of an office? Uh, you know, also thinking about financials you know, from a, a customer perspective in that industry, uh, uh, you know, some people are very comfortable still going to a bank and, you know, don't use online banking and where they now thrust into doing more interactions online and having to set up online banking accounts, which could open up doors for potentially fraudulent activities, bad actors going, you know, I could, I could do some social engineering with the IT help desk of that, that bank or that, that broker and get access to someone else's accounts. Because uh, there's a lot of activity of people, you know, not having those set up before, they start to set those up, and they have challenges, and they call in to a help desk to, uh, you know, get that resolved. So, uh, you know, those are some things to think about there. Uh, I think education, uh, you know, again, big shift to you know online learning. Uh, and there was a lot of new tools that were thrown out there, and I, I know from personal experience with, with with my kids that you know there were some platforms that they used the first week that the schools decided, you know what, that's not the right platform. So now we got to change platforms. Uh, and, and, and so just the adjustments that, you know, those IT organizations supporting, uh, you know, colleges and universities, and high schools and elementary schools, 
had to adapt and, and, and change to, to deploy new technology and uh, to you know support now you know users that they typically weren't supporting in the past. Uh, uh, so you know things that they do about there from you know an IT support perspective, uh, you know come into play as well. Um, and, and then you know thinking about retail and you know some smaller uh, you know retail concerns. Uh, you know had an online presence, but they're really about being brick and mortar. And all of a sudden now the volume of you know sales transactions coming through their online presence starts to change you know did they have enough uh, you know capacity to, to handle that uh, you know are, are they able to handle orders uh, efficiently or, or, or inventory counts updated all the time in their online retail space to match what they actually have on hand uh, so you know so, so, so you know all those types of things I think factor in as well when you think about Know, some of the, the changes in technology that have uh, popped up since I uh, you know the start of this in March. Yeah, and Robert, um, sorry, Trip. I know you were just going to say something, but I wanted to mention there are a few people that are commenting about that. You know, people that they if they're working from home, they have people working all around them, and the privacy issue with the people that are in their home. I didn't know if it, either of you or Trip had anything to say about that. So, so I'll, I'll touch on it briefly, and then I'll let, let Robert clean, clean up my comments, but I think that, that that falls under kind of what I broadly call the operational security of, you know, and you can loop in uh, privacy considerations with that. And so I think it's just the same concerns that we've had with our remote traveling workers in the past. It's just in a whole new context. I think one, one kind of story that comes to mind is a thread that I was on a while back of, you know, who wants to know what the latest mergers and acquisitions are going on? All you have to do is sit in your your favorite elite airport lounge, and you can over you know people are very loose with their conversation that's happening in some of those places. So that some of those same type of operational security concerns have just now transitioned into a different venue is kind of how I'm approaching it. And so I think at the beginning of this, we put out some kind of knowledge articles and in, in some blog posts on this. And one of the things that that Robert and another colleague of, we were talking about is. What have you seen through your your Zoom meetings, your go-to meetings, your whatever platform your flavor of choice is? But in this now work from home, I I you know I, I'm not afraid to say that I think I've saw some passwords that were written down on some sticky notes in the background. I think I saw some things that were being divulged, you know, from from a home office environment that we probably wouldn't, you know, it, it kind of shifted that thinking of of. I've got to revisit and think about just like we have clean desk policies in the office workplace, usually of making sure that I'm not, you know, if I'm entertaining multiple clients or if I'm working on sensitive material, that's departmental, you know, uh, department specific. If I'm in finance and I, this, this information is not public across the company yet. I'm going to be mindful of what's on my desk when somebody, you know, stops by my particular office and just says, Hey, Trip, I want to catch up. I'm not going to leave out. A, an employee's evaluation or something like that. So I think it's that shift of these are the same considerations I would have. How do I apply that to the space that I'm in? So Robert, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on kind of approaching that kind of privacy operational security thought process. No, I think you're down the trip. So good job. And I think the other piece that we saw Tita coming across and, and you know, Robert, this is probably the right time to touch on it, you know, from an operations perspective of there seems like there's a lot of commentary across uh, home internet connections, you know, kind of that connectivity at home uh, capability, you know, that was, you know, kind of, it sounded like a shift for a lot of people of, I used to have enough internet at home to check my email, maybe now that I'm doing, you know, streaming sessions, 
massive downloads, uploads, things like that. And I'm balancing that load with family members around me that are doing the same, whether it's, you know, a spouse for, for uh, work or a roommate for work or a uh, child that's trying to get some education type stuff done or some entertainment uh, to, to allow the ability to work. Uh, so I think those are all, you know, Robert, I don't know if you have anything on the home ISP connectivity, you know, we had MiFi's and hotspots, you know, did we have enough to go around to supplement, you know, how do we get people up to speed, those types of things. Right. So I, I, I think good points, right? It's right. People, I think there's a lot of assumptions of organizations going, you know, everyone has internet at home. And while a lot, a lot of people do, some don't, um, and, and those that do may not have sufficient when you start going, have two people working, I have Netflix streaming with you know a, a child and two other children are on Zoom sessions for, for college, uh, right? That uh, you know starts to you know really eat that uh, bandwidth up. Uh, someone actually just popped up a good point too that you know a lot of home networks aren't that secure, right? It's because people set up passwords that are easy to remember so that when they get that new smart TV, they don't have to punch in a password that's really complex with to get it connected to their home wireless. So they use things like, you know, password or address of their house or something as the, uh, as the password instead of having something with random with question marks and ampersands and all the things that you should have on a good password. Um, right. So those, those home networks can, can, can be points of attack uh, for, for bad actors as well. So, uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it's making sure organizations are, reminding their employees that they need to take steps to you know, adequately secure their home network. You know, obviously the organization can't go do that for them. Because it's not their network, but uh, it, it does tie back in and you know, can, can you know, be a launch point for other, other types of attacks against organizations. So uh, you know, certainly things to make sure that you know, IT organizations are bringing up awareness uh, with their user bases uh, and, and uh, you know, making sure that it's top of mind uh, during these times, I think, is very important. So, you know, so, so you know, when you think about audit perspective, it's making sure that those uh, security aware in the way they're supposed to and trainings being or actually taking the training and taking the quizzes that go along with the security training. Uh, it is all very, it's even more important today than it was when we were, you know, all in the castle. And, and Robert, um, really quick though, you know, cause we've been talking about, there's two questions that, um, are asking about the people working from home and handling security and private information. Um, one person's asked, you know, it was a, a good point about the seeing sensitive information through teleconference. And is there any, an organization or who can help people understand like some standards around working from home with regards to that kind of security and privacy? And then also, you know, like regulation, um, is there anything about, you know, people handling private information from individuals uh, from home, you know, considering the GDPR, for example? Yeah, I mean, I mean certainly, you know, any of the, the privacy regulations could come into play, whether it's GDPR, it's HIPAA here in the U.S. from a healthcare perspective, it's, uh, you know, PCI trip could come into play as well. Uh, you know, handling credit card information, those, those types of things. So uh, it, it, you know, it, it really falls to an organization, you know, if, if they're larger and, you know, have a, you know, chief privacy officer or a chief information security officer, right? They're typically the ones driving that. If not, sometimes that falls to, you know, whoever the, the, the IT leader is or, 
uh, in some organizations there's where, there, where there's really not that. Sometimes it falls to the CFO. That, that seems to be the catch-all for, you know, all things outside of operations. Uh, you know, a lot of times falls to CFOs to, to handle. Uh, but, you know, someone within the organization needs to take, you know, have that responsibility, not just because of the pandemic, but, you know, any time uh, to make sure that, you know, there's, there's good awareness of, 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 you know, just general privacy and security uh, protocols and then also any, any regulations that apply to, to, to their business. So I mean, that has to be there regardless of size of the organization. You know, Rob, yeah. somebody, somebody asked a question, which I think is great. Talked about, um, what about Alexa and Google? <laughs> you know, you're sitting there talking about some pretty probably confidential things and Alexa and Google are kind of recording this, taking it, you know, who knows what, what's being done with that information, yeah. but wow, very good point. Right. right. Supposedly just to train Alexa to be better at recognizing words, but, uh, but uh, yeah. Right. So you're talking about the sensitive stuff and Alexa keeps going. I didn't quite get that. Can you repeat it? Uh, don't. Uh. And I think that that's a good balancing point. And maybe Robert, that's the point for our next slide of balancing between this, this, so what point of, you know, the controls and security, uh, you know, not top of mind. It, it's, you know, it, I, I'm thinking of, you know, so do I still have to wear my seatbelt now that I'm at home? You know, yes, the rules still apply. Just because we're working from home doesn't mean that we can take the rule book and just, just chunk it out the window. Right. We still have some commitments that we have to, uh, you know, balance, reflect on, assess what we've got and kind of, you know, reposition and kind of clean it back up as best as possible. Right. So, yeah, I think that's good. We can transition on to the next, kind of the next topic. So, um Right, so it, it's really about the tools, right? So I mean, just the list like Proofhub, Basecamp, Smartsheet, Slack, Dropbox, OneDrive, Box, Google Drive, Teams, Jabber, Zoom, Skype, Google Hangouts, Truth Messenger, GoToMeeting, BlueJeans, Evernote, OneNote, Google Keep. I mean, there's all these cloud-based tools out there that are really awesome, right? They great things, they help us collaborate and we can real-time work on uh, content together and we can share things and interact real time and we can do video and all of that, right? The, the, and the list goes on and on, right? Those are kind of household name ones for the most part, but I mean, there's all sorts of random tools out there that, that help and, and, and the, right, the space of kind of collaboration and document sharing and content management and project management. Uh, and, and, and it's, you know, as, as, as this unfolded, right, there was a scramble to get those things deployed. Uh, and, and, and a lot of those tools have a, a variety of versions, right? There's kind of consumer grade versions, and then there's uh, kind of, you know, paid versions, and then there's enterprise versions. Uh, and, and they have different feature sets, and they have different levels of control and, and management capabilities uh, to them. So, uh, you know, one of the things you really have to do is, is really understand now that the dust has settled a little bit of what did we deploy, right? Was it the consumer grade version or was it an enterprise grade version that gives us a lot of good administrative controls where we can actually start to see into what content's out there, what people are doing with it, who can add new users, who can remove users, who can, uh, you know, you know, block things or, you know, add in sort of, you know, monitoring tools uh, and, you know, can that be done? So I, mean, I, I think it really gets into, you know, really understanding what you bought uh, and, and what features are, are there. Uh, 
uh, in Trip, we've talked a lot about you know admin rights and then data monitoring. So I, I know you have thoughts on both of those subjects with, with, with these tools and you know what to be thinking about and, and what to be asking. Yeah, and and I think you know as part of that, it's kind of that you know what stressing the the Robert's comment on the what version did we buy, and and I don't want that to go by as just a, a comment in passing that you know that really has a large impact. And I think a, a lot of the audience here is, is approaching this from an audit perspective. Uh, I think your ears should perk up at that of saying, hey, you know, did we get a version that maybe doesn't allow us to meet all of our commitments? I think that's a big concern here of, of yes, we were, you know, in that first slide that Robert talked about of doing everything that we can to quote unquote, get work done and make sure that people still have connectivity did we happen to bypass any of our commitments of, hey, with this, you know, oftentimes for those of you that maybe haven't, you know, read the terms and conditions of a lot of these things, but, you know, in a tiered kind of menu, if you're thinking this is the $5 version, this is the $500 version. Um, yes, that looks more expensive. Maybe we were conservative and we wanted to not spend as much. We could get by with this lower cost version. Uh, oftentimes, and not not always, but oftentimes those kind of the the ability to control additional uh, security measures comes with that more expensive price tag. So it's not just the fact that it gets gives you more bells and whistles uh, from a feature set. Sometimes those features are actually things that allow us to integrate our security tools. And we'll talk about that in a minute as far as observability, but. I think that's the key point or the key takeaway from my perspective of, of making sure that auditors and other you know, advisors and people that can speak into that process are, are taking home the point of, I need to be aware of what did we just buy and how does it impact the landscape in, in that concept of you know, bolting it onto our environment? What did we, how far did we just extend our perimeter? Did, did we get the visibility that we needed? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Trip. And, and, and to add that, I think another big thing is, you know, really look at the admin rights. Who can administer the tool? Who can provision new users? What processes are in place to make sure that as employees leave the organization, that their accounts are being deprovisioned? Uh, you know, did we overextend? You know, who can be the admin? to help get things done quickly? Do we need to go back and pull back on that and, and, and be more selected and, and who gets to be the admin for these tools? Uh, and, and to your point, the, the enterprise grade versions, can that just be tied in with, uh, you know, the administrative rights for the organization on a broader level? And can we tie it into, you know, things like, you know, user provisioning services that we have that do those things automatically. So if someone leaves, you just have to, click one place to go, yes, they left the organization and we know all the accounts get taken care of. Some of these new tools may not be in the scope of that. So you have to really think about those, those pieces as well from a uh, just user management perspective. Uh, I think one of the other big points is, is, is you know, there was some experimentation going on. Uh, so organizations rolled out a tool thinking this is going to be it. And a week or two in they go, that tool is not what we need, right? It doesn't meet our needs, it's unstable, whatever it may be, um, but so you move to something else. But did you clean up that environment that you just created, right? So did you, did you go in and make sure that it got decommissioned properly? Did you, uh, you know, take steps to, uh, you know, 
delete or remove or archive content data that's been stored in that solution, right? So a lot of these you could store files and, and, and recordings of web conferences where you're talking about who knows what, uh, you know, out there. But, you know, did you take all the steps you need to clean up those things um, as you moved off some of those tools that, you know, weren't the right fit uh, for the organization? So, uh, you know, certainly going back and, you know, taking account and asking the questions of, see, we bought that and we used it for a month and then we stopped. What did we do to, 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 to you know, make sure that it got cleaned up properly? Because uh, there's, I have no doubt there's some things littering the uh, uh, environment out there from, uh, you know, tools that have been abandoned perspective um, on that piece. So, Trip, anything else to add before we talk about some of the kind of unique use cases? And I think I think just the the reason why that de decommissioning bullet point that you've got there is so important is you know that does it does it leave a hole in our environment that we don't we don't need is another consideration. So there's that kind of that recurring cost component that you talked about of, of what is the subscription service that I've left on and is a recurring charge. So that kind of operational consideration of the dollars that are recurring now. And then I think about it from a security side of is there a, a connection that I've approved hopefully approved um, that, right. that, I, that I, don't, um, I don't want that to persist if we're not using it, if it's not being actively used. So I didn't yeah, know if you want to talk about the cost component of that. Yeah, we'll touch on that in a moment, but you know, certainly that, that point about connections is, is a, good, a good point, right? Those could potentially be connections back into the environment. So uh, next slide, we'll, we'll kind of look at a few uh, you know, unique considerations. Uh, you know, one being education, we've talked some about this, but, you know, one of the things that came out of kind of the, the online learning piece was uh, this, this, this whole thing around classroom crashers, right? So students joining other classes or even non-students, uh, you know, joining in, uh, you know, web conferencing sessions and, you know, causing disruptions or taking over control of, of what's being displayed. Uh, and that actually drove some of the conferencing platforms to, you know, deploy new features quickly uh, to address those. And it also, you know, raised awareness and, and, you know, made people understand that they need to do things like, you know, use passwords for uh, web conferences. So don't just send out a link, but actually have a password that's needed. Uh, you know, use the virtual lobby capabilities that a lot have. So you can actually screen who's coming in and out of that, that, that conference. Uh, you know, those are things that a lot of people, even if those features were there, they weren't using it because they didn't have the awareness that they should be doing those things. Uh, so again, you know, going back and looking and going, are, are we doing the things that we need to to secure some of these new environments better than we had before? Uh, and I, I think certainly, you know, the education one, I mean, kind of became national news in, in, in some areas, uh, kind of, you know, that, that, that crashing uh, phenomenon that happened. So, but it, it, it drove some improvements, not just in education, but, uh, you know, across all, all industries. Um, and then Bruce Financial Services, you know, we've talked some about this already, but if you have any other thoughts about kind of the impacts on, you know, just business process flows or any, any, you know, the impacts of, you know, some of the new federal acts like the PPP program and, and you know, what's that's done from a, from a, a banking perspective. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Robert. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. There's, there's a number of acts that have actually been put in place and they impact financial services, you know, the, the bank. The insurers, the credit unions, um, and it impacts other other uh, businesses that are in lending. 
and other financial services. Um, so uh, there's a number of things in there that will impact process flows. And so um, I would recommend that you know people look at, oh, there's a new act that we just don't go status quo. I think it takes some thought uh, as to what, what new process flows need to be uh, implemented and whether there's technology around that too. There may be new technology requirements um, that can be surrounding those, uh, those new processes and applications as well. So, uh, yeah, that, thanks for letting me interject on that. All right, yeah, great, great insight, Bruce. So and, I think we can move and, on to the kind of the next area unless there's a question yeah. that we want to Absolutely. Um, you know, actually, if you don't mind, especially because you brought up education, we have somebody here who's um, from a school district. So they don't have a huge uh, budget, but they were saying that um, one of the hardest softwares for them to use is uh, the audit program software for tracking documents and planning. And, and they are having a hard time using that remotely. And they wanted to know if we have any ideas for a good remote audit management software. So I without getting into the brands uh, uh, that are being utilized there, I think it's the, looking at what are the deployment methods? Is this something that was on a server that you could only access what kind of while you're more in a traditional on-prem? Can you not get to it from a VPN? Is it that it's not really mobile friendly? It's not really just scaling to my tablet or my laptop screen, the device well, you know, without knowing some additional details about what is the, the issue with the, the, you know, could be, is it a speed? Is it a latency? Is it a, you know, what the type of issue there is there? But I think I would, yeah, I would I would say, you know, relook at how that's being deployed or accessed. Is there a different, can we make it available through a different venue? Is there a cloud offering that we can utilize as well? Is there anything else that we've already purchased that we just maybe haven't previously turned on a feature before? Can we put it in a different position? Is it because it's on a, in a you know, being accessed out of a server in a location? Can we move it to a different location? It, you know, how is it being, can we change how it's being presented to the end user groups? Yeah. Thank good, you. Good thoughts, Trip. So, all right, I think we got another polling question. Sure. Our next polling question is, and um, at this point, uh, the, the pop-up box has uh, come up on the screen, and it says, from the new technology deployed, what do you really want to keep? And the first option is mobility, which means you finally got untethered, you know, a laptop or a tablet. Second is video conferencing. That actually works. <laughs> uh, third is the content or collaboration, you know, the G Drive, Docs, Teams, Slack, Dropbox. Um, then there's the tech accessories, you know, microphones, webcams, speakers, or headsets. And then the last option is other. So, Robert, I, I know that, you know, these bullet points list or the options listed here are my, kind of the works of my cheesy humor. But yes, I know that you, are. you were the driver of the spirit behind this. Do you want to kind of talk about what the spirit of this question is coming from? Yeah, so it's really just it's getting a feel of, you know, right. One of the things, too, is, is, is that as, as, as we go back into the workplace, uh, you know, right, my thought is that, you know, hopefully organizations don't rip all, all these wonderful new tools away uh, from their employees uh, and, and that some of them become you know, more commonplace and that that can be leveraged both inside the, the, the walls and outside the walls. Uh, and, and, right, we don't just take these away because I, I think people have gotten a taste of some of these these, these great uh, tools that are available to that, that help help facilitate work. And if you take them away, uh, employees would go figure out ways to do it on their own, right? You could potentially create some of that shadow IT. Uh, 
that, that we all hear about and, and we know is, oh my gosh, we can't have shadow IT. Uh, so you know, hopefully you know, some of these things that really resonate and help people do their jobs better uh, you know, stick and you know, don't get yanked away. So. Great. And then, um, so if you want to look at that, then Robert, since you had some thoughts on it, here are the results. I didn't know if you wanted to talk to any of these um, and share maybe because uh, video conferencing looks like 36% of the people have that listed. Yes, I, 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 it's actually great to see that. And I, I, I think one of the good things coming out of this is, is the broader adoption of video conferencing and actually using the video part of video conferencing. Uh, so you know, turning the camera on uh, and, you know, being able to see, uh, you know, more people. Uh, so, you know, more tiles that can, that can be popped up. I know some of the, the platforms continue to expand how many people you can see at a given time. Um, I, I, I think that one's huge. I, I, I think longer term trip, you kind of mentioned some of it earlier about, you know, traveling to, to different places. Uh, and, you know, some of that I think can be scaled back. Uh, I've actually done multi-day workshops with clients over, uh, in the last month or so that typically would have been two or three days of everyone flying out to California from all over the world to, to have sessions in Jose, which is a really expensive place and a really expensive place to, to, to stay hotel-wise. Um, and we've been able to do the same types of workshops virtually uh, and have had very good success on the outcome using video conferencing and splitting out into sub rooms and then coming back together in big rooms and, you know, seeing that technology actually work uh, and be effective is, is, is you know, quite encouraging from, you know, being able to, to get things done without physically being, uh, you know, in the same room together. Yes. And for those of you who um, might be having an issue seeing any of these results, I'll share the rest real fast with you. 27% um, said mobility. Um, and then 26%, so very close third, was the content and collaboration. And 7% said other, and some of you, um, even uh, one person I think even said it's because you already had that, which is great. And then 5% said that the accessories. Um, and, and Robert and Tripp, before we move on to the next topic, I was hoping there was one person that said, um, you know, with with employee movement right now and turnover and some of the changes there, how do you have any ideas for how to manage the accounts right now? Um, you were talking about how do you uh, deploy and activate, but then also how do you deactivate or manage accounts as, as there are some changes in the employee situations? Yeah, I, I think certainly if, if, if there's capabilities to connect these tools into uh, you know, your, your directory services that they're using. So if you're using, you know, Active Directory or you're using some single sign-on tool like the Okta, that, that type of thing, uh, you, know, it, you know, take advantage of that connectivity to, to be able to, you know, have those connected in so you can follow up the normal process for when an employee leaves and you decommission their account once and it, you know, propagates out to, you know, all the different software uh, tools. If not, it, it's really about, having good processes in place to know who's been provisioned what uh, and, and to make sure that that know who's managing that tool set so that they can be included on any sort of communications or workflow that happens that, that goes, oh, this employee left the organization, so we need to let these five people or 10 people now know that they left so that they can take some sort of action. Uh, so, you know, 
first try to leverage technology. So if there's connectivity in uh, to your you know, solutions that you know manage your kind of enterprise user accounts, leverage it. Uh, if not, make sure that there's an awareness of who's using what, and, and, and that the people that manage those those environments are included in the workflows. So. I think that's a good good point, and you know those account pieces tied directly to our next slide. So, Kaylee, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and advance that. And, and you know, I'm I'm seeing a I'm I'm laughing because I'm seeing a lot of responses that echo mine of of you know I, I hate to see the tech accessories not get more love, and I echo <laughs> I echo that sentiment because you know the comment was some of those collaboration tools are painful when people are using you know bad cameras or you know bad uh, bad speakers. You know, it makes it what huh what 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 did you say? You know, and it and it, it really that choppiness you know just extends it. Uh, significantly, but I think that, you know, the other comment that I saw that, that uh, came in was, you know, has work from home increased or de decreased risk, risk associated with shadow IT? And I think this observability and data leakage component uh, really gets us there. And so kind of, you know, summing up what this risk statement really is all about is, you know, what we talked about earlier. We, we've got people that are now trying to work from home, work from different locations that are uh, trying to get their daily jobs done in the most expedient way possible, as well as collaborating with all these other tools that we're quote unquote spinning up, connecting into our environments. And really the question that comes here is, you know, are we aware of what those devices are that we're connecting into our environments? When I talked about we're expanding the perimeter, we're expanding our environment, we're, we're adding on digital services to our, our landscape, we're adding in additional technologies, we're putting data in different locations, we're sharing data in different ways. When we use all of these different platforms that everybody responded with earlier saying, hey, yes, these are the things I love, um, we are using these tools, I appreciate that we're getting information communicated this way. Now, now have, have we extended our security boundaries uh, to that? And what I mean by that is this observability piece. Are our tools, our vulnerability scanners, our monitoring tools, we were talking about account management earlier, are the things that we're using for access management, are they being utilized in, in, in to manage these additional tools and environments? So are, you know, in, in the access world, we may be using, you know, Active Directory from, from our Windows environments as kind of our main sign-on feature. Are we using a cloud, you know, access security broker? Are we using some type of other way to authenticate into these? Are those linked? Are we trying to manage this all independently? We did it so fast, we didn't have time to tie it out and to link it into our tools. Are we trying to keep, you know, different records up to date? And is that, you know, all based on a sticky note that somebody has on their desk that says, hey, this is Trip's account over here, tie it to this account over here? Or are we actually connecting in the tools that we use to manage kind of our enterprise or our normal organizational environment? Have we extended that connectivity into into these other additional tools. And so why is there a, a, you know, a graphic on here of a webcams? This is what I was talking about earlier of in kind of that scramble to get set up at home of, you know, I'm gonna, you know, grab at whatever I can get to, to make my work life more productive. Is it that I need a new camera? Do I need a new uh, laptop? Did I previously have a thin client? Was I using a web server, uh, kind of a, a, um, a remote connection? Was I RDPing into a server, a terminal server? And so maybe I need a new monitor or something. And for those that kind of contest that, you know, I've been watching <laughs> webcams of, of, you know, I finally got my, my upgrade, but, you know, I was, I was having to use one that I didn't particularly love and I wanted a different option. And that was, you know, if you didn't get it by like the 20th of March, you weren't getting it. You know, it was, a, it was another six weeks of waiting, you know, kind of stocking them or you had to pay the exorbitant prices, right? So that kind of goes back to the supply chain things we talked about earlier. 
But that is really the risk that we're talking about here is what is our people in the scramble to get set up or to, to optimize their work? What are they connecting in? So if we could go to the next slide and kind of talk through some of those impact statements, you know, kind of what is the so what of that? Uh, you know, maybe we didn't have enough laptops to give everybody. So did we allow, did we make some concessions to our environment and said, you know, we're going to allow you to, hey, I've got a laptop at home. It's not a quote unquote organizational laptop. Can I, can I use it? Can we connect it in some way? And so because of limitations uh, from, from devices or supply chains or capabilities, did we allow or relax certain rules um, to allow personal devices to connect? Do we still have those today? Have we have we trued that up? Do we know what the the concerns are? And, and that list goes on, right? Whose data is it? Where is it? Uh, you know, how am I getting visibility into that? There's all sorts of concerns that are posed from that. And then the other one here is that you know the shell devices. So were we using old devices? So the comment on VPN was made earlier, and and Robert kind of talked about the load piece to that of hey, a VPN device can only work for so many connections before we have to add another VPN device. It's not just this magical widget that keeps spinning when people try to ping it, right? So I've got to manage the load that goes to that devices. And in doing so, maybe I previously had thought that, you know, about half of my employees may need. Now I've got almost 100% of my employees that may, may need uh, to use that service. And so to be able to facilitate that, maybe I had something that was older that I kind of kept around in the server room. But now, you know, it became desperate that we needed that, that, that device. If I take that out of the closet, if I take that out of the, the, the storage shelf, plug it into the, uh, the, the network switch, right? If I, what are the risks now posed from that? And that's really where we saw, you know, the most data that I've seen come out of, you know, what is the, the security risk of, of work from home is really, you know, almost instantaneously because of tools like Shodan and some other uh, internet globally wide scanning tools that are available, we were able to see metrics that there was an increase in certain brands of VPN uh, devices being utilized and they were not secured or patched, right? So I pull it out of the closet and it's kind of in the last state that I left it. When it was collecting dust on the shelf, it wasn't getting its updates. It wasn't getting its patches. And I plug it in to you know, get, get it up and running and get people working. Am I going to run through my same security configuration management hardening checklist? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll get to that, but what is the risk exposure while those older devices are, are you know, being deployed back to the field, um, being put back to use? So what are the, some of those, those security risks that are introduced there? Yeah, Trim, I think one other thing that, that we've, we've talked about and thought about is, 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 is this has also created a change in network traffic patterns. Uh, so organizations that, that, that are monitoring, you know, intrusion detection type, uh, traffic and you know looking at that information or they have a managed service provider that's doing for them and they're analyzing the traffic patterns kind of sniffing out the the abnormal traffic from the, the bad actors uh, right that that changes now so are you know organizations taking the steps to you know uh, re-baseline you know, those types of uh, uh, solutions to, to, to know that you know a, a server admin typically would be inside the organization connecting to a device and managing it. Now they're at home and is that traffic, you know, look normal now? Uh, and if that's normal, is it normal for the bad actor that's doing the same thing? So, you know, uh, you know, making those adjustments to kind of the network monitoring side, I think is a big, a big issue as well. Yeah. And, and I haven't seen a lot of questions around BYOD. So that bring your own device type considerations So that the, the unique consideration here is really industry agnostic. 
before we move to the next slide, but you know, is that for those of you that are, are operating on, employees use their own devices and we really rely on SaaS software as a service solutions, uh, this is a large con concern for you. I mean, you know, how am I getting you know, connectivity or visibility into those additional services? So with that, I think we can go to the next slide just to make sure we have time to wrap up. Yeah. I think this is an important one. Uh, yeah, you know, this is... Oh, uh, go, go ahead. Yeah, I think very important. We've touched on some pieces of this. I think one of the... the just a couple of key takeaways, uh, kind of looking at time, but, you know, go back and understand what you've signed up for with solution providers. You know, a lot of these tools we've talked about and, and solutions are cloud-based, typically a nice click-through agreements. Uh, you know, did someone from your legal function actually take a look at those or did an admin or someone in procurement just click on through, yes, 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 accept all these terms and conditions that lay out what that provider's obligations are around securing data and protecting the privacy of the data, you know, do you understand what those are? So if you don't, or you think that there's potential people just click through, go back and review what you agreed to uh, and, and really understand what those obligations uh, are uh, that, you know, that, that service provider is, 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 is uh, signed up for now. So uh, I, I, I think that's a key piece. Uh, I think another is even if you, don't think you have an IT function because you've outsourced it or you've outsourced components of it, you still have the risk, right? You, you don't get rid of the risk. It's, it's still the risk of the organization. Uh, so be asking questions of those outsourced IT providers. What are they doing? What's changed in their environment? You know, or what processes or, or controls have, have, have been adjusted because their employees are now working in different environments. They're working from home instead of in the office. So, you know, things to consider, you know, just because you got a contract with someone doesn't mean you got rid of all the risk, right? So, uh, you know, be asking questions of your, your, your partners. It's, it's not just IT partners, right? That may be more on the operational side if you've outsourced, uh, uh, you know, some part of your operations to a third party. Be asking questions about what steps they're taking to ensure that all those things they've obligated to do are still in place and they're still following those. Uh, I think that's very important. Um, the last is to just be aware of all the IT solutions that are in place within the organization. So things that were provisioned maybe outside of IT, but were authorized, but just not managed by IT directly, and those things that employees have done to just get the job done. So they're you know, not being malicious, they're just looking for ways to actually get their job done. Uh, you know, look at ways to understand what those are. Uh, you know, when I was a CIO, I used to drive the controllers crazy because I would ask for downloads of all the details of all the IT expenses and all the employee reimbursements, looking for vendors or reimbursement terms that made me think someone was buying some sort of technology or buying some sort of cloud service. And we would just go through the list and follow up, right? And it drove them crazy because they had to, like, why is the CIO asking for like detailed ledger information? But you know, you can uncover things those way uh, about some of the shadow IT that that existed organizations. So uh, this this kind of three big takeaways there off off this slide. Yeah, and I think I think you know the last touch point on that is you know Robert, you, you talked about a lot about the cost of how you know the low cost entry price 
for a lot of these tools, both made it available for people to put it on their own credit card, you know, and, and, and you know, have that quote unquote shadow IT component. So looking, looking back for that, I think the other point that you've made is, you know, just to, to not leave it unsaid is the, the recurring cost nature of some of those things that these things can add up over time. Right. Some of those things of, you know, what your comment earlier on, what, what plan did we buy? Did we buy a short term month to month plan or did we, you know, sign up for a multi-year deal? What is our cost commitment here of, of kind of that, of that other comment under the signed paper piece? Yeah. Great, great point. All right. I think Bruce, I'm going to hand it back over to you and you can uh, take us into the home stretch here. Well, great. So um, events real quick and um, uh, yeah, we have a few minutes left here just to, you know, just touch on black swan events. Uh, a lot of people are going back and re redoing their risk assessment uh, just and including just black swan events and just black swan risk assessments. And what I want to say about that is, you know, focus on the event, not just the black swan. And so it doesn't matter what color your swan is. Um, I think just focus on the event. And, and, and I would, I would just say that it affects all organizations. Um, FEMA is a good resource to start with, um, has a lot of good points where you can at least uh, get some areas that you need to focus on. Uh, that's what I've seen, but um, Black Swan is really coming to the forefront here. Guys, anything you want to talk about with that before we move on to the next slide? No, I think you covered it, Bruce. Great. If we can move on, please. And then board, your board. I think this is a great opportunity for the internal auditor to get in front of the board and talk about these trending risks, others, um, you know, that are specific to your organization. Uh, if you can provide them with maybe uh, COVID-19 updates periodically. Revisit your communication strategy. Um, uh, boards, they want to know about emerging risk. So the more that uh, the CIO and, and uh, the CAE can get in front of the board and present these risks, I think you know, you're going to have a bigger seat at the table. And especially when you uh, work with management in helping to develop response plans. I think that's going to be gigantic. Um, sustainability is gigantic now. It's 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 uh, getting a lot more traction with um, you know the ESG, your environment, social, and governance. Uh, these are becoming much larger profiles. The organization. So, putting this in front of the board, uh, if you haven't already, I think will will gain a lot of traction, and I think it'll um, you know add a lot more value as a partnership. From an IT perspective. Uh, Trip, Robert? Yeah, I, I think we've touched on all these, you know, really. Yeah, I, I think it, so. it, it's about the identification of what we got. It's about reviewing the posture of those things. And then really that third one there is additional training for people of, of looking back for what additional training do we need to, to educate our boards on for our people? Uh, what steps do we need to take on that? Great. All right. I'm going to go to the next slide, please. All right. And just... We've, we've touched on this. I'm just going to be very broad brushed on this is that your risk assessment and ERM program, I think should be revisited and reevaluated because of these changing risks and, and look for opportunities at this point to change. I think, you know, this environment creates a lot more opportunity to implement procedures, implement processes, implement technology, um, and be able to put people maybe in proper positions. So, um, I think that would be good. Agile auditing, we, we touched on. I think um, this is a great uh, phase if you, if you can. 
uh, introduce agile auditing uh, based on risk. That would be great. Some, some institutions and uh, organizations aren't able to do that because their audits are more rules-based. But for those that aren't, I think this is a great opportunity to um, introduce more agile auditing. Go to the next slide, please. Um, and just update your policies and procedures. Um, and if you haven't looked at the IIA on risk 2020 guide, uh, this may be a good time to do that. The IIA has a lot of information out there um, that is trending uh, that addresses COVID-19 and other trending risks and solutions. So uh, Robert, Tripp, if you want to add to that before we maybe take a few questions here. No, I think you've done a great job of summing it all up. Bruce, I think that was spot on. Great. If we can go to the last slide here, very good. Here's our contact information. Weaver, if you're not familiar with it, again, about 800 people, and we're in uh, various states throughout the country, and we'd love to field your questions. Thanks for all the participation. We've got uh, great trending conversations going and great, great questions. So, um, Tina, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, sure, thank you. Absolutely. And so what I will do, um, if this works for everyone, I will let you all know that um, we are going to end this. We do have a couple questions that I think it will be helpful since so many of you would like the recording for this. We will send a recording of this webinar in the follow-up email along with a link to the slides that you'll receive from IIA in about a week. Um, and it will also be posted on our website on we.com under the webinar section in a few days if you'd like to get it then. Um, so I will continue recording for just a couple minutes and ask a couple more questions, but I do know a few of you have to go. Um, so when you get that email, um, please make sure that you complete the survey in order to receive your uh, CPE credit and CPE certificate, which will be issued from IIA. And again, that email will be in about a week. Um, and then also, if you have additional questions, we have a resource center uh, for uh, resilience and recovery, especially through these times. And you can find that on weaver.com as well. Um, so that being said, um, I do hope Robert Tripp and Bruce, can you stay with us for just a couple more minutes? We have a couple sure. quick sure. questions here. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Thank you. And so... And, and the rest of you, you're welcome to join us for these last few questions as well. Um, one person asked, you know, regarding technology, acknowledging that some people are not very tech savvy and not everyone is in the same uh, time zone and things like that. And so do you have suggestions for people that are trying to push updates and patches during these work from home situations? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly can be challenging uh, right because of the right the time zones I think it's going to be unique to every organization uh, I, I think the most important thing is to communicate out to the user population of when you're going to do it uh, right because you can you know alleviate the surprise uh, that oh this is happening because you can always if someone's like oh my gosh I'm going to be in the middle of presenting to a thousand people on this webinar don't push a Windows update to me right now. Uh, you know, IT organizations can you know, do things to you know, put you in a different bucket and, and, and do you later. Uh, so I think the most important thing is to, is, is to you know, establish you know, the, the timeframes for when you're going to push out updates and make sure it's well communicated and you know, actually listen back to the user community if they have issues that you need to make exceptions for. Thank you. And, you know, when you're talking about risks and controls, uh, there have been questions about the, the facsimile. 
you know, it's kind of their control um, structure. So if they have certain dollar values or certain things, for example, that require two signatures, um, and then like, you know, that one might re require a fax signature that might be acceptable. But um, how, what do you think uh, for people when um, manual signature kind of has been required in addition to say a fax signature in the past, but now um, you have people that are not able to be there in person to do that. Um, have you have any suggestions for people with these kind of um, concerns around their control structure? So, so what I've seen is that it's taken by a state-by-state -state requirement of, of what's being permitted. So in this shift, uh, and Bruce may be able to talk about it from a finance perspective, but the, the, you know, what counts as a signature is being contested on a state level. You know, New York's got different requirements now uh, for, for the level of scrutiny on, on what counts. Can, can we accept a digital signature? What, 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 what if a notary needs to be having? Can we do a virtual notary? Um, you know, and there's different rules that vary on that. And so I think it's, you know, making sure that you're, you're, you're aware of the weight of what you're signing and that you're getting the, the proper guidance, uh, if it's close to a legal consideration from your counsel or, or uh, similar counsel. Yeah, I, I think Trip to add to that is, you know, once you have that guidance, if, if you need to update your, your policy statements or your control statements, update them, right? Because you don't want to start doing something different and then have that disconnect with what you've stated you're going to do and what, you know, what is acceptable, uh, you know, just within your, your own organization. So, you know, making sure that you're making those policy and control updates is, is, is important as well. Yeah, no, I would add, uh, just to add to that, most states now have accepted digital signatures. Um, so if you have to, you know, do two signatures, a digital signature, both of them, uh, is accepted in court. Uh, I don't think there's, I think there's maybe a few states that might not, but for the most part they do. It's, it's very well accepted now. Great, thank you. And, and Bruce, you also talked about the black swan and someone asked him, you know, what are black swan and it says that, you know, black swan and cat risks. Sure. So, um, Good question. Black Swan events. Um, there's actually a whole book written on Black Swan events. Um, those are exceptional events that happen, uh, events that are out of the ordinary. And so some people have, um, have Black Swan risk assessments. I'll, I'll give you a case in point. Um, had a, a client that I knew of in um, Houston, and um, they were doing a Black Swan analysis. And they, this particular organization needed materials. And so if materials didn't come by, um, by rail or other air modes and they blocked off the Houston ship channel um, with um, uh, the boats couldn't get in, what are their alternatives to get, um, uh, to get inventory? So black swan events are very unusual, uh, catastrophic events. That's why I, I put cat events and black swan events together because some people, uh, if you look at some trending risk areas, some people like, I don't care about black swan events, doesn't matter, it's a risk event. So um, some people are like, I don't care what color your swan is, just give me the event. And so, um, so that's why I, I called it a black swan events, but black swan is a term, is a risk term that's used. So um, if you get some more information, I would Google that, black swan events and black swan risk assessments. Um, uh, it's, it's a, a trending area and getting more so uh, because of the pandemic. 
Thank you. And I do have um, just uh, two more, I think, that um, we might want to touch on that seem to be uh, important or um, important topics. And, the, the, you know, for, what are the risks for mandating employees coming back to the office at a certain date? Um, you know, basically, are companies opening themselves up to lawsuits by requiring employees to come back without considering, you know, personal situation, situations such as lack of child care at home, uh, health situations, and et cetera? I could try to tackle that first, Robert, or you want to? No, go ahead, Bruce, and okay, I'll, I'll try to. I'll, I'll do my best on that. I think the risks are going to vary by uh, geography. I think if you're in New York City and you're taking the subway, I think your risks um, of coming back are probably a lot higher than if you live where we live in Texas, where um, just about everybody has a vehicle and we we drive we drive everywhere, and so. Um, I think those risks are different coming into the office. Uh, I know where we are. Uh, there's very few people here. Um, and there is going to be a phased in approach. Uh, and we're going to see, we're going to uh, look at the, uh, we're going to look at the key risk indicators. If things start going up, we're going to dial it back. And so I think, I think you're going to see those, those, those uh, risk trends vary by geography um, from an exposure perspective. I do think that um, I think there's, it's inevitable that there's going to be uh, exposure uh, to different organizations depending on what industry you're in. Um, I think exposure uh, employers are accepting some risk uh, as they get cranked up from a, um, maybe visiting people visiting your location. It might be just everyday customers, uh, whether or not they're going to throw out a claim because they visited your location and they got sick. So I think, I think those are very real risks that um, organizations need to evaluate um, uh, as we start winding down this pandemic and hopefully we don't see a second wave. Right, Bruce, I think that's a great point. I think it is about making sure that organizations internally are talking about those risks and evaluating them all the way up to the board level and that those discussions are happening. Uh, so it, it, and it's not just something you're not thinking about that, you know, just, just making sure that those, uh, those types of discussions and those types of evaluations are, are, are ongoing within the organization is key. Thank you. And, I, and our last question has more to do with um, shadow IT. Um, you know, basically, do you think uh, work from home has increased or decreased risks associated with shadow IT? I, I think at least in the short term, it probably has increased it some, uh, just as, like I say, I mean, you know, ultimately people are going to, employees are going to search out ways to get their job done, right? I mean, most people are motivated to do a good job and, and, and you know, deliver value for their organization. And if they don't have the tools they need, they're going to go find them. Not to be malicious, not to create shadow IT, but just to get work done. Uh, so I, I do think it's a very important for organizations to listen to their employees and, you know, understand the challenges they're having so that they can, you know, bring solutions that have been, you know, properly designed and thought through and procured uh, so you can eliminate some of that, uh, you know, true, true shadow IT. So I, mean, I think, you know, IT solutions bought outside the IT organization and managed in some cases are okay as long as there's awareness and agreement that that's the right thing to do for the organization. Uh, but certainly I think in the short term, there probably is some increased risk. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, on behalf of Weaver, I would love to thank IIA Dallas once again and Chris and your team for uh, letting us speak to you all today on this topic. And I really would like to also thank our panelists here, uh, Bruce and Robert and Tripp. Thank you again for putting all this together and, and taking the time to explain and answer questions. Um, and again, if anyone has questions, um, please feel free to reach us. Our, pres our emails are in the, you can reach some of us through the emails and invitation that went out. And then on these slides, you will find uh, access. And again, the recording and a link to the slides will be available in your follow-up email that you will get in about a week from the IIA Dallas chapter. Thank you again, everyone. And um, we hope this was helpful. Have a great day. Thank right. you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Be safe. Bye, everyone. It's always a pleasure having you with us. We'll be back soon with more episodes covering emerging risks for 2020. Go to Weaver.com for more thought leadership on today's topics and to subscribe to Weaver's monthly insights newsletter. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for tuning in.